evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Senators are back on Capitol Hill this week and Democrats are doubling down on efforts to sidestep the Senate filibuster in order to pass a national voting bill. There's a few paths they could take. Which one will they choose? And do they have a chance to change the rules to pass the national voting law? AT&T and Verizon are set to launch their new 5G wireless service tomorrow, but today they announced they'll delay the debut near some airports. That's after the nation's largest airlines said the cell service would indefinitely ground thousands of aircraft. At least two explosions ripped through a Bronx Row house. One person was killed and nine were injured, including five police officers who responded to the first explosion. The Supreme Court today considered the case of a Christian flag flying at Boston City Hall. Is this a matter of free speech or a matter of the separation of church and state? Critics are calling out a billionaire after he said that nobody cares about a human rights issue in China. He said there are more problems in the U.S. The Omicron surge has peaked in New York City and numbers are going down fast. An expert says that means the entire nation could be past Omicron soon. Truckers along the U.S.-Canada border protest the vaccine requirements set by both countries. Meanwhile, industry groups are warning that the shortage of truckers is already causing costs to soar. The eyes of the nation are on the Senate floor this week as senators move forward with debate on a national voting bill. Is there a chance to change the Senate's rules, setting the stage to bypass the Republican minority to pass new laws? NTD's Melina Wisecup takes a look. Senators have returned to Capitol Hill this week with Democrats doubling down on their efforts to sidestep the filibuster and pass their voting rights bill. Today at noon, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer took the floor to open up debate on the bill, acknowledging that it won't be easy, but it's a step that both he and President Biden see as necessary. No one denies the path ahead is an uphill struggle. Republicans have been clear they will entertain no bipartisan compromise on voting rights. But long odds are no excuse for this chamber to avoid this important issue. Schumer says it's important for all senators to go on record, which is why he's still holding the vote, although the prospects look grim. And the White House echoed that same message. The president's view is that the American people deserve to see uh, where their leaders stand on protecting their fundamental rights. That is a reason to move forward with this debate. Activists outside on the Capitol steps singing as the debate kicked off. Capitol Police made arrests after warning the protesters that they breached an off-limits area. Senators now preparing to vote to change filibuster rules to get around the 60-vote threshold. You know, Anderson, in a democracy, there has to be an equilibrium, a balance between majority rule and minority rights. What we have in the Senate right now is an inversion of this basic principle. But just last week, that 60-vote threshold was used by Democrats to block Senator Ted Cruz's bill to sanction the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, per the White House's request. Declaring that simple majorities should always get their way. Ah, but late last week, they literally wielded the 60-vote threshold themselves. 
The president of Liberty Government Affairs says if the filibuster is eroded, the Senate becomes another version of the House, and some states will lose their voices. It just isn't what our founders intended. Our founders intended for the Senate to be a deliberative body, and it will not be a deliberative body if they get rid of the filibuster. As of right now, senators are debating to vote on the election bill itself. Now, after Republicans move to block this bill, that's when Senate Leader Schumer will bring up the proposal to change the rules. As of right now, it's unclear exactly which technical proposal Schumer will make to change the rules. There are a number of different paths he could take, but all of them are narrow and none of them are easy. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. Two more House Democrats are not seeking re-election this year. That brings the total number of House Democrats leaving Congress by the end of this term to 28. Congressman Jim Langevin of Rhode Island and Jerry McNerney of California announced separately today that they are not running this November. Neither gave a specific reason nor disclosed any firm plans for the future. 57-year-old Langevin is the chair of the House Armed Services Subcommittee handling cyber issues. He said in a video that it's time for him to be closer to home and spend more time with family and friends. 70-year-old McNerney said that he looks forward to new opportunities to continue to serve. In comparison, far fewer House Republicans are leaving Congress. So far, 13 of them say they are not seeking re-election. And AT&T and Verizon say they will delay launching their new 5G wireless services near some airports addressing concerns that the rollout would interfere with aircraft technology and cause massive flight disruptions nationwide. The decision came after the Biden administration stepped in. NTD's Chenny Wu has more. Less than a day before AT&T and Verizon planned to launch their new 5G wireless service, they announced that they would delay the debut of the cellular service for two weeks near some airports. The decision arrived Tuesday as the Biden administration tried to broker a settlement between the telecom companies and the airlines. Our objective is, of course, to reach a solution uh, around 5G deployment that maintains the highest level of safety while minimizing disruptions to passenger travel. Federal officials received a warning on Monday signed by the CEOs of the nation's largest airlines, saying that if AT&T and Verizon deployed their new 5G services, it would make a significant number of aircrafts unusable, stranding tens of thousands of Americans overseas and causing chaos for U.S. flights. The main concern was that the new 5G technology could interfere with an aircraft's altimeter an instrument that precisely measures how far above the ground an airplane is traveling and is especially critical in landing situations with poor visibility such as rain or fog. AT&T and Verizon say their equipment would not interfere with aircraft electronics and that the technology is being safely used in many other countries. However, the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, notes that the frequency spectrum used by other countries in their 5G is lower than that authorized for use in the U.S., which is closer to the range used by aircraft altimeters. This was a situation that was years in the making. The telecom companies and their supporters say the FAA knew 5G was coming for years and should have been working on altimeter upgrades. During the upcoming two weeks, the FAA will review information relating to the size of the buffer zone around critical airports and will seek to reduce flight disruptions associated with the 5G deployment. Chenny Wu, NTD News. At least two explosions and a fire destroyed a row house in New York City's borough of the Bronx. 
One person died and nine others were injured, including five police officers. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. Fire officials said someone had reported smelling gas before the building exploded. But due to an ongoing investigation, fire officials have yet to confirm whether it was gas that caused the explosion. City officials turned off the gas to the entire block in the Bronx neighborhood, but they plan to have it back on as quickly as they can do so safely. Local station WNBC-TV interviewed a nearby resident who said she heard a big boom and then saw the rear of the building tumbling down, followed by a second explosion. The New York City Fire Department responded to the fire within four minutes. There were two sisters from the fire building that were inside the building when it exploded and our units uh, saw them laying on the ground outside and were able and, and working in conjunction with our EMS units we, we took those people and we got them to a hospital quickly unfortunately one of them has uh, succumbed to the injuries and has um, has passed away the fire chief said three residential units were destroyed and two to three units will need structural work but can be restored when you see the body cam video, you're going to see five officers that sustained injuries during this rescue effort. Uh, we want to thank them for their actions, uh, but we saved lives today. Our actions saved lives. And when you, as I stated, when you see the body cam video, you're going to see the quick response of the officers going into a burning building next door from the explosion, not realizing uh, if there would have been an additional explosion, but they went inside and carried out a woman who was trapped inside. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives was also on the scene due to the explosions. The fire marshals are investigating to find out exactly what caused the fire and the explosions. Jason Perry, NTD News. Can a Christian flag fly at Boston City Hall? That's the question the Supreme Court considered today. We hear from a legal expert and the man who brought the case. Boston has allowed hundreds of private groups to raise their banners on a public flagpole. But when a religious group asked, the answer was no. But on Tuesday, Supreme Court justices, both conservative and liberal, appeared to agree that the city was wrong. By the, by the tone of the argument, the, the question, we have a few people who think it might be 9-0. Harold Shirtleff, a conservative activist who brought the case, applied to fly a flag symbolizing Christianity in front of Boston City Hall. But the city turned down his request, citing the separation of church and state. You have to treat all speakers equally, and you can't discriminate uh, against religious speakers. The Biden administration and the American Civil Liberties Union are among a wide array of parties on Shirtleff's side. It's the distinction between when the government is speaking, you can't support religion, versus when the government is allowing private people to speak on its property. But some say it's not just a legal issue involving public versus private speech. If you're conservative and believe in traditional American values, Get lost. John Hugo said his request to fly a straight pride flag was also turned down. This despite Boston's having approved of an LGBT pride flag to fly at the exact same place. What a double standard. It's the same thing. We, but apparently we're the only ones who are allowed to discriminate against. So go figure. 
Meanwhile, local residents protested in the past when a Chinese flag was flown as Chinese officials held events at the Boston City Hall. Not only did they fly the flag of communist China, but city officials, elected officials, participate in the ceremony honoring the communist revolution. Justice Samuel Alito also noted Thursday that Chinese and Cuban flags had flown at the same place. The Supreme Court is expected to decide on the case by late spring. Iris Tao, NTD News. A billionaire and partial owner of one of the NBA's top teams is facing backlash over his comments on human rights in China. He said that nobody cares about the Chinese Communist Party's suppression of the Uyghur minority group. We hear more from NTD's David Lamb. In a January 15th podcast with the All In podcast, one of the co-hosts and CEO of Social Capital said that nobody cares about the Uyghurs in concentration camps in China's western Xinjiang region. Nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You, you bring it up because you really what? care, and I think what that's nice that cares? you care. The rest of us don't care. Polly Hapatia was responding to another co-host who brought up Washington's recent ban on all products imported from Xinjiang's forced labor camps. He adds that the issue is below his line and there are more domestic issues to focus on. Not until we can take care of ourselves will I prioritize them over us. Polly Hapatia owns 10% of the Golden State Warriors. The team's management responded saying that Polly Hapatia is a limited investor and his views do not reflect those of the organization. The podcast co-host countered by saying that human rights is a global concept and its open discussion is allowed in the U.S., but not in certain other countries. A number of critics respond, including Ennis Cantor Freedom, one of the few NBA players to be vocal on China's human rights. He calls it a shame. Freedom previously talked on BBC about encouraging his colleagues about choosing morals over money. So it is important that this uses a platform to be the voice of all those innocent people out there who don't have a voice. Florida Senator Rick Scott said communist China is imprisoning innocent people simply due to their Muslim faith and silence is appeasement. He asked several Warriors players to condemn it. The United States and other Western nations have characterized Beijing's repressive policy in Xinjiang as a genocide. Pali Hapatia also said that after reviewing the podcast, he realized he came across as lacking empathy. He said his family previously fled a country with its own human rights issues. David Lamb, NTD News, California. And we have more updates on the pandemic. The World Health Organization says there's no evidence that healthy kids and teenagers need vaccine boosters. This comes as an Israeli study shows that a second booster doesn't stop infection from Omicron. The Pfizer booster is authorized for kids aged 12 to 15 in the U.S. Israel has begun offering boosters to children as young as 12. And Germany and Hungary recommend that everyone between 12 and 17 get boosted. But the chief scientists at the World Health Organization suggest that may not be necessary. Um, there's no evidence right now that healthy children or healthy adolescents need boosters. No evidence at all. The WHO says that instead, the aim should be protecting the most vulnerable, such as the elderly and the immunocompromised. On Monday, a preliminary study on a fourth vaccine shot came out of Israel. The study shows that a fourth shot induces more antibodies than the third shot, but not enough to prevent Omicron infection. And we know by now that the level of antibodies needed to protect and not to get infected from Omicron is 
probably too high for the a vaccine, even if it's a, a good vaccine, uh, to, to get over this. So people, despite the fact that they have been vaccinated, are getting infected. Despite the findings, a senior health official said Tuesday that Israel will keep offering the fourth shot. The country's health minister says the fourth dose still offers protection from serious morbidity. The hospital that did the study made the following conclusion about the second booster. I think that the decision to uh, allow the, the fourth vaccine to vulnerable populations is probably correct. It may give a little bit benefit, but probably uh, not enough uh, to support a decision to give uh, uh, all of the population, I would say. Meanwhile, the European Union's drug regulator said on Tuesday that mRNA vaccines are safe for pregnant women and their babies. The agency reviewed several studies involving around 65,000 pregnancies. The review did not find any sign of an increased risk of pregnancy complication, miscarriages, preterm births, or adverse effects in the unborn babies following messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccination. Several EU member states have already endorsed the COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant women. The drug regulator's announcement will likely bolster vaccination campaigns in member states. You can now get a free at-home test for COVID-19. The Biden administration's new website, covidtests.gov, is already up and running, and you can order the tests online. Each household is entitled to four free virus tests, and shipping is expected within 7 to 12 days of ordering. A convoy of truck drivers held a demonstration Monday near the U.S.-Canada border. They were protesting the vaccine requirements both governments have placed on truckers. Meanwhile, industry groups warn the requirements will cause prices to rise and say the shortage of truckers is already causing costs to soar. NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. While we're protesting the vaccine mandate, Mandate Freedom reads a sign on the front of a truck near the U.S.-Canada border. This is part of a slow roll protest staged by a convoy of truckers Monday along Highway 75 in Emerson, Canada. They're protesting against the vaccine requirements placed on truck drivers by both the U.S. and Canadian governments. In this video shared on Twitter, protesters in the fleet can be seen flashing signs saying things like, last year's heroes, this year's zeros, and my body, my choice. One driver told a local radio station that the truckers were circling a portion of the highway, blocking all lanes heading south to the United States and northbound traffic coming from the U.S. Canada's vaccine mandate for truckers went into effect on Saturday. Sir, are you vaccinated? I'm sorry? Are you vaccinated? Are you my doctor? Unvaccinated foreign national truck drivers aren't allowed into Canada. And while unvaccinated Canadian truck drivers can enter, they must complete a 14-day quarantine upon return. Meanwhile, the U.S.'s vaccine mandate for cross-border truckers begins this coming Saturday, January 22nd. Industry leaders are warning of the dire consequences the mandates could have on supply chains and thus prices. According to the CEO of Canada Wide Fruits, the cost of transporting produce out of California and Arizona to Canada jumped 25% in the last week due to fewer trucks available to cross the border. The CEO told Bloomberg Monday that ultimately this rise in cost will land on the consumer, adding the lower the supply, the higher the price. 
Meanwhile, Bamford Produce reported that the cost to bring a truckload of fruits and vegetables from California and Arizona to Canada had doubled. According to Reuters, the Canadian Trucking Alliance estimates that 10% or 16,000 cross-border drivers may be forced off the roads as a result of the mandate. And according to Bloomberg, the American Trucking Association estimates that only 50 to 60% of U.S. truck drivers are vaccinated. Grace Coulter, NTD News, New York. New York City was one of the first urban centers in the U.S. to be hit by Omicron. Experts say New York can forecast how the variant behaves in other cities around the country. Now, the Big Apple appears to be past the variant's peak. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. At no point during the Omicron surge did New York City have another lockdown. Still, hospitals managed the surge and now cases are going down again, as the mayor showed on Tuesday. The level of cases in New York City, they are declining. They are declining. Omicron seems to behave very similarly in different places around the globe, which might mean that all of the U.S. could soon be past Omicron's peak. In fact, over 30 states have already recorded a decrease in cases in recent days, according to an Epoch Times analysis. As we look at the places that are ahead of us, Israel, the U.K., once they started down, they dropped very rapidly. Dr. William Lang is the chief medical officer at World Clinic, a private concierge medicine practice. He says the global pandemic response has changed by now. Do you think lockdowns are also a thing of the past or do you think other cities in the U.S. might still be implementing them? No, I don't. I think that we're, we're done with lockdowns. Look at, at um, China. China Im immediately implements a lockdown whenever they have issues. Yet China is still seeing their numbers go up. Virus cases usually go up in winter, so is that going to happen again in a few months? I don't think so. I don't want to bet the farm on it, but I've, I've seen a lot of good virological data that says that when a virus gets to the point where it as, is as infectious as Omicron, that for it to have a variant, that's going to make it less infectious. So Omicron is probably it. The mayor says he will keep an eye on the numbers and that New Yorkers should keep safety measures in place, such as social distancing, for example. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Basketball star Kyrie Irving is still not vaccinated. Calls from fans for him to finally get the shot are getting louder. That's because an important teammate just got injured. We have the details on Irving's status and the opinions of some New Yorkers. Unvaccinated Kyrie Irving is not allowed to train or play in the Brooklyn Nets home stadium because of New York City's vaccine mandate for indoor settings. Irving's teammate Kevin Durant injured his knee and is expected to be out for the next four to six weeks. Now people are yet again calling on Irving to get the vaccine so he can play home games. He should think about the team and sacrifice for the team because they need him. Irving responded to the claim that he should think about the team by saying... You bring in the team and you bring in situations we're in. And Kevin, Kev's going to heal. Kev's going to be okay. And we're going to have to deal with that as his teammates. But in terms of where I am in my life outside of this, I stay rooted in my decision. And that's just what it is. Some New Yorkers seem to have accepted that Irving is not getting the shot. You know, he's not going to change his views. You know, he hasn't changed it since then. I wish he would, but like if it's 
against his beliefs, I guess I understand it. I mean, Irving explained that his beliefs about not getting vaccinated are not just about him, saying, That's not just for me. That's for all that are dealing with being unvaccinated, getting fired from work on a daily basis. It's not just about me. That's been my message the whole time. Another New Yorker pointed out that the rules should be applied equally to all players. He should be able to do whatever he wants. It's a free world. He gets to play. Everybody else gets to play basketball in New York City. Why can't he? Because other players, they're not vaccinated, but if they come here, they could play. He should be able to. The Brooklyn Nets will have to play seven home games without Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving if Durant is out for six weeks. The pandemic has caused anxiety and depression for many people, but some say they found an antidote in the form of a classical Chinese dance performance. Here's more. The seemingly never-ending pandemic can bring one's spirits down. But Shen Yun's audience members say the classical Chinese dance performance brings some much-needed relief. And it's so beautiful and so uplifting, and there's kind of this um, holistic feeling to it. So I was just very impressed, and uh, you, you kind of feel like you're floating on air when you leave. For those two hours, we actually forgot that we're in the pandemic, and I actually forgot I was wearing a mask because it was so delightful. The show exudes an energy through the music, but also through the skills on stage, which I think helps us fight the virus. I feel a difference. I have more energy now, and my heart is more full of joy. I think the show is a good antidote to the pandemic. A program like this teaches you that you're connected to other people and that you need to think about something beyond yourself, something transcendent. According to their website, Shen Yun draws inspiration from 5,000 years of Chinese culture, which is said to have been divinely inspired. These artists bring those ancient values back to the modern stage, aiming to showcase China before communism. This brings us a rich spiritual and emotional experience, which is important, especially nowadays. They're representing Chinese culture as it should be told in the world, what China is. And to me, China is not the Chinese Communist Party. China is, the, the essence of China is the people. And I think in the future, in the near future, we will see that, that new China that we've always wanted to see without, without the Chinese Communist Party. Audience members say they could relate to these traditional Chinese elements, even in the West. I think in America, we're losing a lot of our culture and a lot of our uh, deep-rooted values. And so I think it's a great kind of uh, a message to America. This is a great way to reconnect with our, our spiritual roots. And so I, I think that it's a, a fabulous thing of showing the commonality of, of humanity and bringing us back to kind of that core um, a root of who we are. I mean, we've, we've gone through a lot of negativity in the world that led up to 2020. And I think um, we need to get back to those, to, those, to those qualities that make us human beings. NTD News, New York. Coming up, a report alleges that California's leaders received millions of dollars in donations and gifts from big corporations. And the Biden administration has developed a plan to save communities from forest fires. The strategy is to thin out about 80,000 square miles of forest near high-risk areas. That and more on NTD News.
According to a Californian report, the governor and other politicians received hundreds of millions of dollars worth of donations and gifts in 2020. The senders were giant tech and health companies. The California Fair Political Practices Commission released its annual payment transparency report on January 13th, listing all the solicited payments California officials received. State elected officials behested more than $237 million in 2020, with Governor Gavin Newsom receiving the vast majority of it. Newsom solicited a total of nearly $227 million in donations in 2020 from Facebook, Google, Blue Shield, and others. That's a tenfold increase from 2019 when he behested about $12 million. This huge increase in both the use and amount of behests is why we are implementing new regulations to increase transparency, said FPPC Chair Richard Miedich. Behested payments are contributions to elected officials that are to be given to other organizations. These payments are less regulated than campaign contributions and are not limited in size. The transactions must be reported under the Political Reform Act. The FPPC report says the funds were used to support California's COVID-19 response and awareness campaign, purchasing gift cards for healthcare workers, Project Home Key for the homeless, among others. 2020's top behesting officials also include Secretary of State Shirley Weber, Assemblymember Christina Garcia, Superintendent Tony Thurmond, and Assemblymember Anthony Rendon. In an effort to reduce damage from forest fires, the Biden administration plans to increase forest thinning near fire risk communities. The proposed amount of forest thinning is about 80,000 miles, an area larger than Nebraska. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. The administration's aggressive forest thinning will focus on regions where fires have wiped out neighborhoods and in some places, entire communities, including California's Sierra Nevada mountains, the east side of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, and portions of Arizona, Oregon, and Washington state. Administration officials say they have developed a $50 billion plan, which will more than double the use of controlled fires and logging. About 40,000 square miles of the proposed area is privately owned or controlled by states or tribes, making their participation in the plan crucial. Reaching that goal would require an estimated $20 billion over 10 years for work on national forests and $30 billion for work on other federal, state, tribal, and private lands. The Biden administration calls certain high-risk areas hotspots, which are the areas where forests meet neighborhoods. Forest Service planning documents indicate the hotspots make up only 10% of the fire-prone areas across the U.S., but they account for 80% of risk to communities because of their population densities and locations. The recently passed federal infrastructure bill put a down payment on the initiative, $3.2 billion over five years. Jason Perry, NTD News. Icy weather hit Canada over the weekend and on Monday. Videos on social media captured frozen waterfalls and snow piling up on a balcony in the province of Ontario. Let's take a look. A winter storm dumped nearly two feet of snow on parts of Ontario between Sunday and Monday. A time-lapse video captures the dramatic overnight accumulation on a balcony. Between 15 to 24 inches of snow fell in the region, which is home to the nation's capital city, Ottawa, and its most populous city, Toronto. Social media footage also shows Tiffany Falls and Sherman Falls in the province are turned to ice. Heavy snowfall in Canada and parts of the eastern U.S. caused travel disruptions and power outages throughout the weekend. 
And coming up, the chief medical advisor for the White House, Anthony Fauci, is facing criticism for holding significant investments in China. And the total number of virus deaths in China may be close to 2 million. That's according to calculations by a new machine learning program developed in the UK. More after the break here on NTD News. Dr. Anthony Fauci's financial records were recently disclosed. And it's sending the White House's chief medical advisor right into another round of controversy. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has the story. A newly released financial record is putting a U.S. health expert in the spotlight. The controversy revolves around Dr. Anthony Fauci. His recent financial disclosure shows the doctor has significant investments in Chinese companies. According to Fauci's 2020 financial statement, first released by U.S. Senator Roger Marshall on Friday, Fauci held approximately $10 million in investments, including in a particular fund named the Matthews Pacific Tiger Fund. According to the fund's fact sheet, nearly half of this money went into companies based in China and Hong Kong. Many of them are linked to Beijing and benefit from its policies. Included are tech company Tencent, online shopping giant Alibaba, Hong Kong exchange and clearing, and drug developer Wuxi Biologics. Among them, Tencent has been known to comply with the Chinese regime's demands, like collecting users' personal data, monitoring online activity, and censorship. Those practices also extend outside China to U.S.-based and other international users of its messaging app WeChat. Besides Tencent, Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba has been accused of cybersecurity risks and espionage by U.S. investigators. For Fauci, the disclosed financial information comes at a hectic time. That's amid dwindling public trust in his handling of the pandemic as chief medical advisor to Biden. Last week, the Senate summoned Fauci to a hearing over suggestions that he lied to Congress about his gain-of-function work. The controversy continued this week after Senator Roger Marshall accused Fauci of lying on another occasion, this time on his finances. In a statement, Marshall wrote, just like he has misled the American people about gain-of-function research, about masks, testing, and more, Dr. Fauci was completely dishonest about his financial disclosures being open to the public. Previously, Fauci claimed he had made his earnings public for nearly four decades. A new machine learning program calculates the total virus death toll in China. It estimates that CCP virus deaths are close to 2 million. This is a far cry from Beijing's official reported death toll of around 4,500. The COVID death toll in China could be more than 300 times higher than Beijing's official reports. This is according to an investigation by UK-based newspaper The Economist. The figure would put the number of deaths in China at around 1.7 million rather than 4,600. To obtain this number, The Economist built a machine learning program. It calculates the number of excess deaths, or unnatural deaths, for every day since the pandemic began. The newspaper provides links for those interested in inspecting their model and mythology. 
In addition to the economist's investigation, there are two other indications that China might be under reporting virus deaths. This is what George Cahoon, the director of the Quantitative Finance Program at Stevens Institute of Technology, tells NTD's David Zhang. One is that China hasn't reported a single virus death for the past two years. Since April 15, 2020, China has reported zero COVID deaths on the mainland. That's, I think that's impossible. It's medically impossible, it's statistically impossible. And remember, in 2020, there was no vaccine, mm -hmm. there was no treatment. So you had a, a, an unprotected population that has shown zero COVID deaths, even though they've had tens of thousands of cases. The United Nations compiles data of year-over-year -year deaths, regardless of cause, of all the countries in the world. From 2019 to 2021, China had an unexpected and sharp increase in the number of deaths. Cahoon says this is another indication of possible underreporting of virus deaths. The trend line is flat for China in terms of the increase in that number every year going back 10 years. And then it suddenly jumps by a factor of four in 2019, and it jumps again in 2020, and again in 2021. And you do the math on that, and there's about a million deaths in China in those three years that surpass the trend line that you would expect. So something happened that caused a million extra deaths in China in those three years. Calhoun says authorities' reporting of zero virus deaths could be a result of Beijing's zero COVID mandate. That has also led authorities to impose strict and rigid lockdowns on populated cities. But the lockdown could be hurting China's economy. Uh, one measure, one place that you can see the effect, I think, is in the stock market. The, every developed stock market, financial market in the world is up significantly in the last year or two, except for China. I'm not trying to say that that's all because of the lockdown, but the lockdown is going to be one of the factors. According to a survey from the University of Washington, China is the world's only country that has not provided complete data on unnatural deaths during the pandemic period. China is urging people to wear masks and gloves when opening mail, especially from abroad. That's after authorities suggested the first case of the Omicron variant found in Beijing could have arrived via a package from Canada. Francis McGuire reports. The state broadcaster CCTV said on Monday that citizens should minimize their buys of overseas goods or receiving mail from abroad. It said people should protect themselves during face-to-face -face handovers and wear masks and gloves and even try to open the package outdoors. Health officials said the person found infected with Omicron opened a package from Canada and transmission through the parcel could not be ruled out. China has been largely alone in its view that COVID-19 can spread through cold chain imports like frozen meat and fish, while the World Health Organization has played down that risk. China has vowed to step up disinfection of overseas mail and insists postal staff are fully vaccinated when they handle it. The country has fought to stop COVID spreading with the Beijing Winter Olympics less than three weeks away. Hong Kong went so far as to order the cull of 2,000 hamsters on Tuesday, echoing the mainland's zero-tolerance policy even as much of the world shifts to living with COVID. 
It also warned pet owners not to kiss animals after a cluster of infections was traced to a pet shop there. The outbreak of Delta variant cases led to tests on hundreds of animals in the Chinese-ruled territory. Eleven hamsters showed up positive. Health Secretary Sophia Chan told a news conference authorities were acting out of caution, even though there was no evidence domestic animals can infect humans. Hong Kong would not be the first place to cull animals infected with the virus. Last September, three pet cats were put down in the Chinese city of Harbin. In Europe, Denmark introduced a plan to cull all 17 million mink after a mutation of the virus spread to humans from one of the animals. Coming up, 60 French senators are disputing a vaccine pass law that'll soon be enforced by the government. They say the law goes against personal freedoms. And scientists say that Tonga's massive underwater volcanic eruption could deliver long-lasting damage to the island nation. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. The French government is set to implement a vaccine mandate unless the highest court votes against it. NTD correspondent David Vivas meets with a lawyer working on the dispute. Around 60 senators appealed to the Constitution Council, the highest court in France, to see if the vaccine pass law violates the Constitution. This new law, which had a rough ride through Parliament, with opposition parties finding some of its provisions too tough, will require people to have a certificate of vaccination to enter public places like restaurants, cafes, hospitals, cinemas and long-distance trains. Lawmakers in the lower House of Parliament voted 215 in favor of the vaccine pass bill to 58 against, paving the way for the law to be applied. But senators from different groups say this law goes against personal freedoms, such as the freedom to come and go and the freedom of expression. Attorney Diane Protat worked on the text with senators to dispute the bill. One of the measures is a mandatory vaccine for all workers and employees. Protat says this measure might make 5 million unvaccinated French lose their jobs. Of course it's a social disaster. Uh, there were already 10 million persons who were poor in France. And if you put 5 million plus 10 million of people who don't have money, you will have an explosion of poverty in France. She says other measures might change forever the way rule of law works. People's ID and certificates of vaccination will be monitored not by police, but by employees or persons in charge of the places where people want to enter. Protat says this is how things will end up, since there wouldn't be enough policemen in France to monitor the entire population. You cannot imagine that every lunchtime in France, all the policemen will not go to check in the bars uh, all people who are coming. So the solution for the state is to ask to any one of us to be the policeman or the judge of someone else because they don't have the money and don't, don't have the power to enforce it. So they are asking us, the civilian, to enforce it for them. In the even, the High Court doesn't suspend the law. It might be implemented in the coming days. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. The German foreign minister held talks with Russia amid concerns that Moscow is preparing to invade Ukraine. The UK said it had begun supplying Ukraine with anti-tank weapons to help it defend itself. And a group of American senators visiting Kiev also promised to supply arms. NTD's Eddie Aitken brings us more on this. German Foreign Minister and her Russian counterpart held talks in Moscow on Tuesday about tensions between Russia and the West. Western countries say they fear Russia is preparing for a new assault in Ukraine. 
which it invaded in 2014. More than 100,000 Russian soldiers with tanks and guns have gathered near Ukraine in recent weeks for no understandable reason, and it's hard not to see this as a threat. She said Germany is ready to defend fundamental values. We have no other option but to defend those common rules, even if this means paying a high economic price. Moscow denies any plans for an attack while holding regular drills near the Ukrainian border, as shown here on Monday. Russia has said it would take military action unless the West agrees to a list of demands, including banning Ukraine from joining NATO. Belarus said on Tuesday it will hold military drills with Russia next month. The maneuvers will be conducted on Belarus's western border and in the country's south, where it borders Ukraine. Talks last week ended with no breakthrough. Kiev has asked Western countries for arms to help protect itself. On Monday, a visiting bipartisan group from American senators promised just that. And we will impose crippling economic sanctions. But more important, we will give the people of Ukraine the arms, lethal arms, they need to defend their lives and livelihoods. They also brought a warning to Russia. I think Vladimir Putin has made the biggest mistake of his career in underestimating how courageously the people of Ukraine will fight him if he invades. On the same day, UK Defence Minister Ben Wallace told Parliament that Britain had begun supplying Ukraine with anti-tank weapons to defend itself. The EU's top diplomat said on Monday that he's not expecting a military strike in the near future, but rather cyber attacks. He said that the bloc was preparing sanctions in the event of an attack. Last week, cyber attacks hit Ukrainian government websites, which Ukraine blames on Russia. NATO said it would sign an agreement on closer cybersecurity cooperation with Kiev in the coming days. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will travel to Kiev to meet Ukrainian president on Wednesday, followed by a trip to Berlin. Eddie Itkin, NTD News. Scientists say that Tonga's massive underwater volcanic eruption could deliver long-lasting damage to coral reefs, erode coastlines and disrupt fisheries. The destruction from Tonga's massive underwater volcanic eruption is still being assessed. But scientists now warn that the damage could be long-lasting. The volcano has been releasing sulphur dioxide and nitrogen oxide, two gases that create acid rain. This could damage crops, including staples like taro, corn and bananas, which locals depend on. Geologist Marco Brenner has been studying the eruption's impact via satellite photos. So a lot of that ash and gas will remain within the stratosphere for quite a number of uh, weeks and possibly months and uh, kind of circulate across the globe. The more immediate impact on Tonga especially was the ash fall uh, directly from the, from the cloud, which blanketed most of the Tongan landscape in a few centimetres of ash from what has been seen of satellite images. Uh, and that basically had an impact, uh, basically water, uh, drinking water sources on vegetation, grazing for animals, etc. Uh, because the volcanic ash is toxic. 
And it may not just be Tonga. Much of the rain could land on Fiji. Underwater, fish are at risk. Tonga's livelihoods depend on the ocean. But ash from the eruption could be harmful to marine life. Murky, ash-filled water near the volcano will deprive fish of food and wipe out spawning beds. Certainly fisheries are likely to be, have been impacted by, uh, uh, for instance, the murkiness of the water. So the eruption would have uh, produced quite a lot of suspended particle in the ocean water. So that might impact fishing grounds. Ash fall could also have such an impact and uh, could potentially cause changes in ocean surface uh, acidification. Meanwhile, surviving marine life will be forced to migrate. A six-year investigation into the betrayal of wartime diarist Anne Frank has identified a suspect. Researchers say an informant led to Anne Frank's capture by Nazi soldiers who then moved her to a concentration camp where she died in 1945. This report from NTD's Neil Woodrow. More than 75 years after Nazis stormed the canal site hideout in Amsterdam, researchers have concluded it was a very likely suspect who gave the Anne Frank family up in order to save his own family. A team including a retired U.S. FBI agent and around 20 historians, criminologists and data specialists believe a Jewish notary named Arnold Vandenberg gave the Nazis the tip-off. Using big data research techniques, a master database was compiled with lists of Nazi collaborators, informants, historic documents, police records and prior research to uncover new leads. Investigating team member Peter Van Twisk said the crucial piece of new evidence was an unsigned note to Anne's father, Otto, found in an old post-war investigation dossier. Yeah, we investigated about 30, more than 30 scenarios, and I think we can say with quite a certainty that about 29, 28 of these scenarios are virtually impossible. Um, only one scenario uh, fits the, 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 the classic motive, uh, knowledge and opportunity. The note said Vandenberg had access to addresses where Jews were hiding as a member of Amsterdam's wartime Jewish council. Other team members have said the outcome does not have 100% certainty. This has been one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in the Netherlands of World War II. The Anne Frank House Museum building that includes the secret annex where the famous diary was written gave the researchers access to its archives. Museum director Ronald Leopold says he thinks the new research still leaves questions unanswered. I think they come up with a lot of interesting information, but I also think there are still many missing pieces of the puzzle uh, and those pieces need to be further investigated uh, in order to see how we can value this new theory. Historian Eric Summers of the Dutch NIOD Institute for War, Holocaust and Genocide Studies praised the extensive investigation, but was skeptical of its conclusion. The name of Anna Frank is not someone, it's the icon of the Holocaust. And uh, if you're going to blame someone, you have to prove for more than 100% that you're right. He questioned the centrality of the anonymous note in placing Vandenberg as the suspect informant and said the team made assumptions about wartime Amsterdam Jewish institutions that are not supported by other historical research. 
and died in the Bergen-Belsen camp at the age of 15, most likely due to the poor conditions in the camp. The diary Anne wrote while in hiding was published after the war and became a symbol of hope and resilience that has been translated into dozens of languages and read by millions. The findings of the new research are published in the book The Betrayal of Anne Frank by Canadian author Rosemary Sullivan, released on Tuesday. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. Coming up, two newborn tiger cubs bring hope for an endangered species. Their arrival comes just ahead of what the Chinese zodiac dubs the Year of the Tiger. Find out more here on NTD News. According to the Chinese zodiac, the Year of the Tiger is approaching. But the creature is under threat in the wild. A breeding program in Russia's Far East now brings good news to an endangered tiger species. Let's take a look. At the Primorsky Safari Park in Russia, the birth of two tiger cubs offers hope for the future of the Amur tiger family. The tiger cubs are six months old, a little more than six months. Their mother's name is Yusuri. The Amur tiger is an endangered species listed on the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species. Less than 4,000 of the animals currently exist worldwide. Three of those adult tigers have made their home in this wildlife park. Each has a spacious enclosure the size of a soccer field. Standing on a bridge, visitors can observe these iconic Russian big cats. Once a week, keepers release game into the enclosures to preserve the tiger's hunting instinct. If the Amur tigers ever disappear from nature, then the offspring of programmed tigers, including ours, will be returned to nature. For this purpose, we are preserving purebred Amur tigers. Park staff say tiger poaching is rare, but poachers are taking the cat's prey, like deer and other hooved animals. And with those numbers shrinking, the practice has become a threat to the tiger's food source. Many tigers arrive here after straying into populated areas and clashing with people or livestock. These can be orphaned cubs or tigers that receive various kinds of injuries, including gunshot wounds from poachers. Those who get into traffic accidents, tigers with deviations in behavior that get into residential places and attack domestic animals. One tiger was brought to the center after breaking three of its paws. The keepers say it was the first wild tiger to undergo surgery at the facility. They hope the animal will be returned to the wild this spring. There are also plans to reintroduce the tigers to Kazakhstan, where the species is extinct in the wild. It's very important not only to preserve them in the places where they live now, but also to return them to the places where they used to live before but were eliminated. According to the World Wildlife Fund, the current population of Amur tiger stands at 600 in Russia. Across nine years, 16 Amur tigers have been rescued and successfully released into their natural habitat. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.